Hi, my name's Jonah Van Driesem, and you're listening to Microlink. Today on the podcast, we have the first in a series of interviews with the BC Liberal leadership candidates. These interviews are meant to illuminate issues affecting the student population here in BC and to get some responses from the candidates vying to be the leader of the official opposition and maybe even the next Premier of British Columbia. There's going to be a range of topics and I hope they'll be informative and insightful for you. So let's kick it off with our first interview with Mr. Val Litwin, the former CEO of the BC Chamber of Commerce. So I guess the question on everybody's mind whenever anyone announces some sort of big campaign is, what was the thing that pushed you to run? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, for me, the motivating force was a sense that the BC Liberal Party and BC itself were long overdue for a new definition of success. And I want to kickstart that change. So when I think about some of the problems we're up against, and they are, they are intensifying, and they are many, and I'm not even thinking about COVID, we need to bring some new solutions, some new perspectives, some new ideas to some of our old and intensifying problems. And that ranges from an opioid crisis and eroding affordability uh, here in Vancouver, all the way through to the need to step up our tempo around Indigenous reconciliation um, and, uh, you know, tackling climate change. On top of that, too, as, as someone who's certainly uh, pro-economy and likes to see thriving communities with great Main Street businesses that employ local people and give back to charities and not-for-profits, I'm very concerned about our economy too and if we're heading in the right direction. So my, my pitch around the new definition of success is we, we need to create a vision here in British Columbia where we put people in the middle of the picture, but we're building an economy that is fair, vibrant and inclusive to take care of the people because they're connected. And when I was the CEO of the BC Chamber of Commerce, I had a front row seat to the damage that happens to people and communities when an economy falters. When an economy starts to fall apart, your social fabric starts to unravel. The two are very connected for me. And so success is about recalibrating how we address both. Absolutely. Um, so I wanna to talk to you a bit about experience. So obviously, uh, you know, your, your, big, your biggest qualification of this job is being the CEO of the BC Chamber of Commerce. Uh, the previous leader, Andrew Wilkinson, had quite a strong resume by most standards, you know, former minister and doctor and lawyer and all that, um, but just failed to connect with BC voters. So why are your experiences the ones that make you the best person to connect with British Columbians and lead the party to a victory? Yeah, great question. Well, I would say my, my recent BC chamber experience is important, but I, I wouldn't actually say it's the most important. My career started uh, as a social enterpriser, just out of university. My, my best friends and I, we started a, a, a social enterprise called Extreme Kindness, and we did tours across North America. Uh, in 2002, we raised a couple hundred thousand dollars from corporate Canada, post 9-11, and we spent 110 days on the road just volunteering and giving back and talking about the, uh, the benefits of building social capital at the community level. And then ultimately we wrote a, a book on corporate social responsibility. So my whole career started out thinking really deeply about people, communities, how we create more inclusive and resilient communities. 
And then I moved into an entrepreneurial track after that. I, I co-founded with two amazing female business partners, Judy and Devin Brooks, Blow, Blow Dry Bar, which was a franchise service concept. And we grew that across Canada into the US and eventually overseas and then exited that company. I think now it's at 95 locations globally. Uh, so I understand balance sheets. I know what it means to build uh, a physical location, many of them, and to hire teams and to train them and to make payroll and to have to dip into my own personal line of credit to make payroll. You know, I've been an investor in business, right? I've, I've put it all on the line and I've worked with teams and built brands. Um, and then from there, I, I jumped into healthcare as VP operations for Canada and USA with Nurse Next Door. At the time when I joined, it was Canada's largest uh, home healthcare company franchise. I learned about healthcare. I learned about um, the need for quality, compassionate care for our elders at end of life. We did, you know, comp complex care in the community, in homes for family members. Um, I learned a lot about healthcare, the gaps and opportunities here in Canada and BC around that. And then I jumped into that public policy track. So Jonah, my, my belief is that, that I was, the thread through all of that for me is I've always been where people, business and communities meet. I understand people, I understand balance sheets. And that is what I think makes me um, an exciting choice for leader of this party. You know, you make a good case for yourself there. Um, but in the last election, the BC Liberals didn't really make a, a, a very good case for themselves uh, and very much got mired down in allegations of sexism and homophobia. Um, and I think that image has frankly stuck with a lot of, of folks. I, you know, I, I, when I was, before I got into journalism, I was a member of the, the Liberals and know lots of people who were in the Liberals and, you know, they did not vote for the party last election. They didn't feel like they could. Um, so what, what are you going to do to fix that image and to make people feel welcome in the BC Liberal Party? Well, the first thing people need to realize is I'm the only outsider in this race. And that is, that is mission critical for me, is to rebrand re the party, not just from a logo and color palette standpoint, but from the inside out to bring in people that are inclusive, support diversity, um, and have a socially progressive agenda, but still know how to care for the economy. I, I will be unequivocal and have been um, in all my conversations this first week of my campaign. The BC Liberal Party moving forward will not tolerate intolerance. It's a non-negotiable. And the people I'm appealing to in British Columbia are very moderate center-track people. They're socially liberal and saying, yes, we need to care for our most vulnerable. We need to make investments in community and parts of the economy uh, where they wouldn't uh, naturally thrive on their own. We need to make those investments. But fiscally, yeah, I'm, I'm conservative. You know, don't put me and my kids into generational debt. Let's, let's frame up an economy where a young person like you, Jonah, can go out and start a small business, a new publication. You're not going to be taxed into the ground in the first three years. And you can scale over time and grow your business, hire more people, pay better wages. That, that's what it's all about. And that, that British Columbian exists. I don't buy into this polarized view of uh, politics and, you know, there's people over here and there's people over there. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think the average British Columbian sits very sensibly in the middle. Um, so kind of in that, that part of forming the party around that ideas um, and changing the image of the party, 
what kind of candidates are you going to try to recruit and how will you recruit a greater diversity of candidates? Yeah, well, for, I mean, to, to attract a, a new type of candidate and a more diverse and younger type of candidate, we have to project and we have to project a different brand and value set and image of the party. And for me, that again, that's not about color palettes and logos. It's about, first of all, for my campaign, broadcasting uh, an energy and new ideas and an authenticity that starts to pull people into the conversation that might be cynical or might have walked away, or I would call them lapsed liberals, lapsed BC liberals. We start by changing the, the energy and the conversation and the ideas. Once we get people, uh, you know, to the edge, to the edge of uh, our town here, so to speak, then we start to welcome them in. We we have different conversations, and we make sure they feel they have a place um, in that in that new party. So, for me, it's about making sure people understand we will not tolerate intolerance. We're embracing big ideas, and yes, we're still going to uh, frame up a fair, inclusive, and exciting economy. But we're going to put people in the middle of our picture. And, and Jonah, what I would also say is, moving forward, diversity will be our strength. Mm -hmm. So moving a little bit off kind of how you would run the party and how you would run your campaign to be the leader of the province, um, I want to move a little bit more into some policy specifics. And these are questions that have come out from our community. And I, you know, as designing yeah. these interviews, I wanted to make sure that students were getting a voice in this. Um, and so the biggest problem for students right now is affordability, right? They can't afford to go to school. Uh, they can't afford to live anywhere. So what are you going to do right now for young people who just do not have the supports they need? Yeah, so this is, there's, there's no light switch you can fit, flick, right, to fix affordability. Um, but there's, there's two pieces within that for me that I think are really important. One is uh, we do have to tackle the housing issue. And I appreciate that a young student isn't looking to purchase their first condo, but if we can tackle the supply problem around housing, we will free up product in every single category. So if you're building more houses that are at an affordable rate, you're gonna get people that are currently renting out of the rental market into their first home. So we need to solve housing supply. And the, the solution to that, um, is so much more than just speeding up the permitting and application process at the municipal level. It's about actually rolling up our sleeves and figuring out the sticks and carrots that support uh, municipalities to zone more land for more housing. That's the first thing. The second piece, and we'll be rolling out more economic detail on this moving forward, but we need a plan around growing wage growth. In British Columbia. So we need we need that average wage to start going up in relation to the cost of living. Because right now we're falling behind. There's there's a greater disparity in, in earning potential and that cost of living here in BC. So we'll we'll be presenting some economic policy around how we think we can accelerate that opportunity over time. So we need to figure out how to how to boost wages. And we need to figure out how to get costs lower or slow that increasing cost curve. If we do both of those at the same time, we can make things better for young people. A big part of that, I think, inside of affordability, and I think, that, that, you know, a failure that's been, I think people have accused as it being a failure of the BC Liberals is, you know, there's not direct student supports. Uh, and I mean, one of the big things have, that have attracted people to the NDP recently uh, is a lot of the, the supports uh, they've given to uh, income programs for going to school. So interest-free loans, 
uh, larger loan forgiveness, uh, and then specifically for kids in foster care having uh, free uh, universal education, which I've heard lots of people on our campus who have actually come from that program, and you know it's been a life changer for them when they yeah. had you know yeah. lost prospects. So obviously those programs are there, but it's still you know there's still a large disparity for people to get the skills they need to get into the job workplace. So I guess my question there is: there's obviously a, a skill shortage in BC. How would you kind of support that economic growth amongst young people? So, yeah, so I'm, I'm completely open to figuring out how we cre create more friction-free pathways for young people to get into post-secondary institutions, you know, trade schools, technical institutions, so they can get upskilled and into that marketplace where they're making a better, higher wage faster. Um, that, that's a, a, a totally an, an open option. But I would go back to the economic narrative here for me, which is if we can, if we can create a thriving, fair, and inclusive economy in BC, general revenue for government will go up because if businesses are growing, government's getting more tax revenue. When we have more general revenue coming in, we have more options. And that's when we can really start to deliver an exciting way for young people. So, uh, you know, I'm a younger person, right? I'm one of the youngest people in this race. I, 61% of the population in BC now is under the age of 40. You guys are the future. We are going to have to unlock the potential of this generation coming through the next two millennials and gen z's um, if bc is going to have an exciting future so um, a big part of the policy that we're going to be rolling out is going to be aimed at that demographic absolutely um moving off some well i mean partial student concern but also kind of a broader concern particularly for you know british columbia wants to attract talent i think you know it, it has a history of bringing interesting talented people here because of its you know beautiful environment beautiful scenery and also just the cultural diversity here um but one of the things we haven't been attracting recently is doctors uh and there is a huge doctor shortage one in five british columbians don't have a a doctor right now a number of them have had it long term and from a number of students i've asked about this issue uh, they come to the province or they're even they just get off their parents insurance and they lose their family doctor and they don't yeah. have support. So what are you going to and you know, and we're in the midst of a pandemic right now. So what are you going to do to close that that medical gap throughout our our province? Yeah. So the, the healthcare care in, in that particular regard. Um, well, let's let's just talk reality for a second here. The four or five times I've had to go to a clinic in the last 18 months. I have not actually needed to see a doctor. <laughs> I've had an infection on my arm because I cut myself. Uh, you know, a nurse practitioner probably could have looked at my elbow and said, yeah, you need some penicillin. Um, you know, I probably needed a prescription filled. I did that on Babylon Telus Health from my phone. So the first thing is we need to probably look at a system that triages people in cases in a more efficient way so the doctors are seeing the patients that require doctors. Um, so, and for me, a lot of the care is getting pushed more and more into community, you know, um, so urgent care, uh, urgent care centers, uh, more clinics, more dynamic models around clinics, um, making sure that, again, you know, when you go to a uh, a clinic, if you just need a prescription filled, you don't take up the doctor's time. Let's make sure he's focused on a young kid that's having some kind of reaction to something and we need more urgent medical attention over there. So for me, this is about um, first and foremost, well, taking a good hard look at the system and everyone the figuring out at the community level right how now, the one thing people are really excited about 
are uh, people are getting their vaccines and so we're going into the reopening plan now right that we're, we're staged opening so restaurants are open right now businesses are uh, opening more and more and you know there's hope that maybe even by some time in the fall we could have like larger concerts and larger gatherings something like you can kind of see in the u.s where you know yeah. the nhl games were watched the 20,000 people are watching uh vegas versus montreal so my my question for you inside of this though is what do you like about the current reopening plan what would you keep or and what would you advocate as a member of the opposition leader of the opposition for the province to change yeah i think the biggest thing so health health and safety of the population is number one um for sure and you know we didn't have a blueprint heading into this we didn't have a modern blueprint heading into this pandemic around how to know how to handle it so there are lots of critiques of how the provinces in Canada have have handled the pandemic, but I, I give I give everyone credit for the focus on health and safety. However, the economy took way more of a hit than it could have and should have. And I think we have to give so as as you know, the leader of the opposition, what I would say now is, is we continue to move through the pandemic because variants of concern are still out there. We're not through this. We're getting very excited about where this is trending. And let's let's hope that we get to the, the right um, the, well, that we get to the finish line here and we can start to really open up the economy. But we have to be able to challenge ourselves after 14, 16, 17 months of being in this to say, now, if, it, if we don't know where the crisp finish line is, we have to be able to reevaluate our approach to some of this. So the example I would give is, you know, there are no cases, in, when there are no cases in Cranbrook, British Columbia, in the East Kootenays, do we really need to close down all the restaurants? It, it's like saying, uh, you know, a member of the BC Liberal Party uh, tweeted a little while ago, you know, when it's snowing in Cranbrook, we don't ask everyone in Vancouver to put chains on their tires. So we, we need to be a little more calibrated um, and get away from the one size fits all approach, in my opinion, so that we don't prolong the damage to the economy. I'm not suggesting we don't use that health and safety lens as a number one piece, but again, if we have no cases in a jurisdiction, uh, why are we shutting it down in, in the way that we would a jurisdiction that is crawling with cases? Absolutely. Uh, moving on from there, I think Canada, and I, I think a lot of young people, particularly on BCIT's campus, which is quite diverse and has a large Indigenous population, have really been struggling with a lot of the recent revelations about um, just you know the mass deaths, mass graves that have been found at these residential schools, and the impact of their legacy and, and the legacy of Canada's colonial system that was in place for so long, uh, and, and many would argue is still in place. Um, as Premier of British Columbia, if you have the privilege of being elected to have that position, what is the approach you are going to take to reconciliation, and how is it going to be better than what the current government is doing? Right. Right. So first of all, just speaking to the tragedy, the ongoing tragedy, tragedy of um, these discoveries. And let's be clear, we knew this was the case, but it's becoming more and more apparent because we're, we're discovering these, these bodies, these skeletons. So um, first, just to pause and reflect and say, just with Indigenous Awareness, um, National Indigenous Awareness Day this week too, just to pause and say, you know, Canada is mourning with our Indigenous communities um, 
and it's it's the horrific nature of what has happened to our indigenous population in Canada. It it almost can't even be fathomed. And what I am hopeful for is that we're not just having a moment here in Canada as we pause and reflect and begin to maybe understand a little more deeply and emotionally what our Indigenous populations have experienced in history, that we're not just having a moment that maybe a real movement is building around stepping up our, our tempo and pace around Indigenous reconciliation. Uh, reconciliation. So what I, as a Premier of the province, it would be a priority for me to continue to make progress on this. At the BC Chamber, when I was there, our network was, to my knowledge anyway, based on our research, we were the first business network in Canada to ratify a policy around um, pushing governments to, uh, to, to adopt UNDRIP legislatively. Um, so that was an important piece for our network as a business community to say to government that we think it's time that this makes it into legislation. Um, so we, you know, we have had that position before it was um, the case here in BC, certainly. Um, reconciliation is hard. I don't want to speak from a position of expertise and knowledge that I don't have. My commitment would be to stay in dialogue and to engage sincerely with our Indigenous communities on how we can continue to do better. Putting an economic lens on it, I think one of the ways we can accelerate Indigenous reconciliation is through economic reconciliation to create wealth and opportunity for our nations so they have choices, so they can empower themselves and lift themselves up to do exciting things and manifest their own their own destiny, whatever it wants, whatever it needs to look like for them. Um, and I have heard many um, leaders within the Indigenous community say this, that that health for their communities is wealth. And so if we can accelerate the economic reconciliation track, I think we can, in partnership, help empower, I should say, not help empower Indigenous nations to move uh, to where they need to go. But I, I speak from a position of humility. I don't have all the answers. I just know I have to keep learning myself and be attentive and support the process. Absolutely. This is going to be my last question about just kind of your ideas around governance and then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about uh, you know if you take on the role of leader of the opposition what some of your approaches are going to be there um, but say you win the next election uh, you know what is the one idea that if you have like it's just this is the thing I have to get done right away or it can be a couple things of course what would that be what's the first thing you're going to get done when you if you become premier it's a great question I'm not going to give you a policy piece right now because we're, we're not rolling that out quite yet. But what I will say, I want my biggest contribution to be around the vision for the province and the new story we will tell ourselves and the world about BC, which is that we are one of the most gifted jurisdictions on planet Earth. And we are going to unlock some of the most um, exciting and innovative opportunity for the province economically but we are going to care for our people, all peoples, all communities in the environment as we do it. So we will, we will mount a modern political party that knows how to marry up a competitive economy with compassion for people in the environment. And if, if we can create a story for ourselves for the future, where those pieces come together, that, that is what I would like our legacy to be. 
absolutely. Um, just, so now kind of moving to my last few questions here, more kind of about the immediate responsibilities you'll have if you win the leadership here. Um, obviously, the, there's been a very collaborative approach uh, for a large part of the pandemic between the BC Liberals and the BC NDP and the Greens, uh, which I think a lot of British Columbians appreciate it. Uh, but now we're kind of returning more to our bit of our normal politics, particularly with with the majority government of the NDP. So what do you, what are the going to be the top things you're focusing on that the NDP are doing? What do you see as particularly harmful or maybe even some things you think are good initiative supportive, uh, initiatives that you could support, but you think need changes? Yeah, I mean, we need to increase the pace of economic recovery here. We need a plan. I, I, I'm not seeing a crisp plan around how to do that. And for me, that doesn't bode well for the long term, especially for caring for people and robust social services. So uh, I would bring right out of the gates a very uh, critical economic lens, uh, you know, and focusing that in the direction of the party in power. That, that for me is the biggest piece right now as we come out of the pandemic. Um, I, I do think on the affordability piece, and as I've said many times, the two are connected. If we have a thriving, fair, inclusive economy. We have the revenue to, with more options to support initiatives like affordability, but I think we have to get more courageous in tackling some of these issues around affordable housing and accessible housing. And I see those as being two really important pieces coming right into that position. That was our episode. Make sure to check out our other interviews in the BC Liberal Leadership Series so you can find out how these potential premiers will impact your life. Thanks so much for listening. For Microlink, I'm Joda Van Driesen.